In the name of Jesus Christ, welcome. For six years, members of St. Mark's Lutheran, St. Andrew's Presbyterian, Chalmers, Sydenham Street, and Princess Street United Churches have been gathering together on this day. This service is quite different than the one we had originally planned for this year, but we pray that the Spirit of our Lord will bind us together fully in heart, mind, and soul and bring us to our Savior's side. We are met this morning to remember the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and to meditate on the mystery and the power of his suffering for us and our salvation. At the center of this hour, we will be remembering the passion of our Lord through the words of chapters 18 and 19 of the Gospel according to John. These readings will be offered by representatives of the congregations and each will be followed by an opportunity of response with the words of one of the great hymns of our Christian faith. The hour will conclude with short meditations by the clergy of our congregations. May God grant us to understand what it means that our Savior died for us and lives for us. Judas, slave of jealousy, where are you? Peter, slave of fear, where are you? Thomas, slave of doubt, where are you? Women and men of Jerusalem, ruled by public opinion, where are you? And Pilate, slave of expediency, where are you? We are here. We are here. This is Good Friday, a time to remember the passion of our Lord Jesus for us, in solidarity with us. A time to remember that to follow Jesus is to be servants of all. A time to pray that as we watch and wait with Christ, we may be found with courage in the time of our testing. Thank you. 
Let us pray. As we gather before you, Lord, we acknowledge that this is Friday. The darkness descends. There are no safe distances. The suffering of this world overwhelms. We who are called the body of Christ, drawn from every people, language, nation, and race, have come to our time of testing. Will we acknowledge the darkness? Are we sensitive to the suffering? Can we believe that you are at work in the midst of it all? Holy God, as we draw near under the shadow of the cross, grant us insight to understand your sorrow over us. Grant us insight to see ourselves as you saw us from the cross. Merciful Savior, help us to understand why you found us worth the agony. Help us to see where we cause your agony. Help us to see our neighbor and all human beings as the beloved children for whom you died. And Holy Spirit, may we not go from here without a deeper love in our hearts, a deeper love for you, a deeper love for others, a deeper love for ourselves. And this we ask in the name of him who accepted even a cross for our sakes. It is he who binds us together, and it is he who gave us these words with which we now approach you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. John chapter 18, verses 1 to 27. After Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers, together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they came with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, For whom are you looking? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, For whom are you looking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that my father has given me? So the soldiers, their officer, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. First they took him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter was standing outside by the gate. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it and warming themselves. 
Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews gather. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, If I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, You're not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment the cock crowed. A reading from the Gospel according to John. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement, to be able to eat at the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews replied, We are not permitted to put someone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is the truth? After he said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him, but you have a custom that I released someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a bandit. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has claimed to be the Son of God. 
Now, when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to release you and the power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at the place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Jews, here is your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate asked them, shall I crucify the king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but the emperor. Then he handed them over to them to be crucified. The Holy Gospel according to John chapter 19. And carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and him with two others, one on either side, with Jesus between them. 
Pilate also had an inscription written and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write, the king of the Jews, but this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven into one piece from the top. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see who will get it. This was to fulfill what the scripture said. They divided my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of that wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. A reading from John chapter 19. 
since it was the day of preparation, in order to prevent the bodies from remaining on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled, not a bone of him shall be broken. And again another scripture says, They shall look on him whom they have pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who had at first come to him by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about a hundred pounds weight. They took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloth with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb where no one had ever been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, as the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. We are together today, together and yet apart. We have listened for the Spirit in ancient words of Scripture, and now we come to a time to offer our own prayers to you, our God of holy mystery, holy love. In this time of extreme uncertainty, as we confront our in, an invisible microscopic force which is creating havoc around the world. Are you listening, God? Hear my prayer. Amen. 
in this time in society when people are still rejected for the color of their skin, their sexual orientation, their economic and family status, their gender identity. Are you listening, God? Hear my prayer. In this time of power and control, both in the world, in our communities, and in our families, are you listening, God? Hear my prayer. At this time, when I personally find myself today, are you listening, God? Hear my prayer. <clears throat> we remember, God, as the psalmist did, how in our past you have indeed heard our prayers and responded in some unique ways. Through researchers and medical personnel discovering vaccines and medicines which will stave off death in the face of viruses which kill us. Through education, conversation, and sharing of the richness of diversity and the high value of all humans and creatures. Through caring, intelligent people working in our governments, our healthcare system, our agencies, and support groups, bringing equity and balance of power to our human interactions. Through friends, family, and sometimes strangers, we are healed and feel at peace once again. <clears throat> Following the psalmist's example, we come from despair and concern through remembering how life can be better to giving thanks for all our blessings. Are you listening, God, as we now offer our personal thanks? Hear my prayer. The option is ours, God, to tap into your presence, which sustains us and allows us to have peaceful sleep and arise again in a new morning to face a new day. We know, God, that indeed you do hear our prayers and will guide us as we live, love, and celebrate life in solidarity with all creation and with you, who is holy mystery, holy love. Amen.
Six weeks ago, in what now seems an entirely different era, here at St. Andrews we began our Lenten journey gathering around the theme of mending the heart. Our prayer was that each week, as we heard again the gospel, our broken hearts would be healed, mended, one week at a time, one stitch at a time. We thought about how a heart needs mending when a parent dies while one is far away, or a partner betrays, or neighbors are hungry, or a child sees a whale choking on plastic and cries. A heart needs mending when it knows an abiding sense of inadequacy, an overwhelming sadness, a crumbling of cherished ideals, a deep pain that simply won't let up, an acknowledgement of knowing that instead of doing what I know is right and true and beautiful, I persist in ways that are empty and hurtful. These weeks were meant to be an opportunity for us to acknowledge how broken are our hearts and our lives and our world, and little did we know how full an opportunity we would have these weeks of Lent. Witnessing the suffering of neighbours alone and the devastation brought upon whole nations, experiencing together a terrifying loss of control and security, a questioning of our lives, deep and disturbing. This morning we hear again the story of the last hours of the life of our Lord among us. So much has preceded these hours, and it's all been passion. The Holy One condescending to come amongst humanity as one of us, running after us when we had turned from God and good. The life marked from the very beginning by humility, think of that birth in a feeding trough, and by embrace, the healing extended to the neglected and the rejected, the words whispered of promise and new beginnings to the crowds. Much has preceded, but in these last hours, the love of God for humanity, the passion of our Lord, we have seen most clearly. And it pierces the heart, and it mends the heart. We have not been abandoned by the Holy One, and by the grace of God we never will be. We are loved with a love that will not let us go. We are accompanied and led throughout our journey, whatever the circumstances or its contours. We are led unto life. We are led unto life now and always. The heart knows mending in the love of Christ. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This familiar saying is one that we often hear quoted during times of great distress, suffering, pain, sorrow, and grief. Times when a loved one has sacrificed something or all of themselves for the good of an individual or for the common good. Although it is not in our readings today, it is from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 13. The words spoken by Jesus as he explains his commandment to love one another as he loves us are words of comfort, of reassurance, and of love. What does it mean to love someone in such a way that one would lay down one's life for one's friends? Does such love really mean never having to say you're sorry? I don't think so. Does such love mean that you can keep secrets and truths from and tell little white lies to your beloved? I don't think so. Does such love mean you don't have to say those three important little words often, if at all? I don't think so. What I do think love means 
is engaging in and being committed to a relationship of reciprocity, a relationship in which each party expresses their love in sharing and caring for each other and for living that love out in a tangible way. This morning, as we gather to remember and give thanks for God's gift of love made real and tangible in Jesus Christ, we too are called as people of faith to reciprocate that love, to share and care, and by living that love out in a tangible way. This is the way that we express our love for Christ and tell the world, yes, evangelize, the good news of God's love for each and every one. In these unusual and surreal times of regulations and restrictions due to COVID-19, we have now more than most of us can remember an incredible God-given opportunity to communicate what it means to truly love Christ, to have a relationship with God's beloved, to give thanks for the gifts of redemption and forgiveness, of grace and mercy we have been given, and to live out that love with voices that speak the truth, that convey the care and compassion for which the world so desperately longs, and that articulate the blessing of a greater love than anyone can ever expect or understand. Our love for Christ is expressed through our prayers, our reading and meditating on God's word, and by the acts of love that we do, donating money or food to organizations supporting those who are struggling to pay their rent, feed themselves and their children, to keep up with schoolwork, checking on a neighbor, staying in touch with family and friends, and caring for ourselves as Christ taught us to do. When we truly love Christ, we do indeed lay down our lives for our friends. We give of ourselves, our time, our talent and our energy, unselfishly, with joy, with thanksgiving and with all that we have and all that we are, in the name of all that is holy, the greatest love of all. Thanks be to God, amen. The Gospel of John talks about Jesus as the light that was brought into the world. Jesus is the Word of God. The Gospel even starts by explaining how in the beginning the Word was with God and that Jesus is the Word made flesh. So the Word is like this ancient expression of love for all creation and for all of you here listening and it's always existed. And John also gives us verse 316, that God so loved the world, he gave his only son. You know that verse. So today, that son of God is sentenced by humans. And there's even that moment, a sliver of hope where Pilate offers him to be released, but the crowds shout, crucify him. Then Jesus is beaten, flogged, mocked, and stripped of his clothing. The Word made flesh, God's embodiment on earth, God's expression of love, is plotted against and nailed to a cross and is executed by humans. The very humans that God sent Jesus to love, they violently reject him. So how does it work that Christians live by the code, love your neighbor, do unto others, as you would have them do unto you. Spread the good news. And yet, we also still admit to having sin. Sin, the very thing that led to the crucifixion of Christ, the very central moment of the crucifixion, that very same sin that rejected the word made flesh. So to be Christian, is to admit to continue to sin. The crucifixion is our rallying point as a community. We can gather as a loving community, knowing that we fall and rise together. From baptism 
until our death, we can still be a community. Even though sin may lead to hypocrisy, anger, and ignorance amongst community members and our neighbors, as churches have often done. So this is how we love each other, knowing each of us fail, knowing each of us falter, knowing each of us are prone to sin. But remember, we also gather knowing that we can share together the abundant grace given to us through the journey to the cross. On this Good Friday that we arrive to this day, we live in a time where solidarity with each other is more important than ever in our world. We come aware of many people all around us and around the world who are suffering and crying out for help, encountering crosses that are very real for them. I'd like to share with you a poem that was just written this past week by a friend and parishioner of mine, the Reverend Norm Esden, that speaks to this Good Friday and Holy Week. The poem is entitled, Holier Than Holy Week. Holier than Holy Week in this pandemic time at last, cooperation dethrones competition. Government action unseats government talk. Healthcare boost displaces healthcare cuts. Business of caring dislodges business as usual. Common good dethrones personal gain. Social media service unseats social media trivia. Thoughtful introspection displaces frenetic busyness. Family home settling dislodges globetrotting. Clear blue skies replace septic city air. In this holier than holy week, Hosanna, Hosanna. Even the pain of a pandemic cross cradles the seed of Easter our love for the world.
And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace this Good Friday and your every day. Amen.